You're listening to a podcast series celebrating the 25th anniversary of GINA, the global initiative for asthma. We're in London to interview world-renowned asthma specialists, healthcare professionals and patients, focusing on the issues, objectives and achievements of GINA and to look ahead to the future developments that the next 25 years will bring. In this podcast, we're going to talk specifically about the management of children aged 6 to 18 with asthma and talk to Dr. Louise Fleming, a clinical senior lecturer at Imperial College London and consultant respiratory paediatrician at the Royal Brompton Hospital. Dr. Fleming, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Can I first ask you, Dr. Fleming, how does asthma develop in children of this age group, 6 to 18? I understand there are different steps in the process. Well, most children with asthma have their origins in the preschool years. Lots of preschoolers wheeze, but not all go on to have persistent symptoms and develop asthma. And we know there are lots of factors that can contribute to that. Children with an atopic history, so other atopic disorders such as eczema, are more likely to go on to develop asthma. And there are also important interactions with viral infections. And we also know that it's more likely in those children with a family history of asthma. Can you give us a bit more detail as to who is specifically prone to this disease? So it's actually very difficult to predict which children will develop asthma, particularly as many children in the preschool years will wheeze. We know there are certain risk factors, particularly if they have other atopic disorders such as eczema or food allergy. And we also know that those children with persistent symptoms, particularly if they have persistence not only with viral infections, but at other times as well, are more likely to have persistence of asthma later on. However, it really is very difficult to predict and, and know exactly which children will carry on having asthma. How do you establish as to which asthma drugs are safe? It must be very difficult. So I think we need to take into account the individual. We know that for the most part, we can start on low doses of treatment and they're generally safe in children, particularly low doses of inhaled steroids. However, we do recognize that there are side effects and we need to be certain that we've kind of counseled the parents appropriately and that we monitor for those as well. Earlier, we were talking to one of your colleagues about pregnancy and asthma. One of the things that came out of that discussion was that GPs, clinicians are more reluctant to give their patients these drugs. Is it the same with children aged 6 to 18? No. So I think, I mean, there are very good guidelines. The GINA guidelines very clearly highlight that children should be started on controller therapy. And I think most of the treatments we use are kind of well established in children. We also talked about the fact that a lot of people aren't using their inhalers properly. And I would imagine that's particularly a problem with uh, children and their parents uh, helping them. Can you describe the importance of inhaler technique and spaces, particularly for children? And I would imagine initially some find them very difficult to use. Yeah. So it is of absolute fundamental importance that children use their inhalers correctly. And we would always recommend that children use a spacer with their MDI. So a really important aspect of asthma management is to check inhaler technique, not just the first time they're prescribed that inhaler and spacer, but every time they come for a review. Who actually teaches inhaler technique? It's a, I mean, sometimes the GP might not have the time uh, to spend with the patient or with a parent. So specialist nurses, 
are generally the people who do that hands-on teaching, but also we can involve other people such as community pharmacists. But it really is so important to get the right spacer for the right child. And we often see older children still given a spacer with a mask, and we know that airway deposition is really poor with a mask in older children, and those children should have a spacer with a mouthpiece. Specifically for the UK, how good do you think education in terms of inhaler technique, in fact, the whole of the subject of asthma, how good is it at the moment? So unfortunately, it's generally poor, and that's reflected in the outcomes within the UK. Um, asthma deaths among children are among the worst in Europe. And I think that education really is a key part of that, and we're not doing well enough in terms of teaching children how to use their inhalers, teaching parents around kind of use of them and also supervision. So we're not doing well enough in terms of teaching children how to use their inhalers and also parents supporting their children in doing that and supervising them, as well as providing personal asthma management plans and supporting self-management. There is, of course, a specific um, GINA strategy for this uh, group of young people. Can you give us an idea of the strategy, the process and the information that people can glean? So the, the kind of strategy around management is to look at a number of different factors. So we need to um, assess the patient, so look at individual risk factors, look at patient preferences, look at risks of exacerbations, risk of um, asthma symptoms, and then choose the appropriate therapy for that child. And the appropriate therapy is the one or is an inhaler that the child can and will use. And then we need to be um, monitoring and reviewing response um, to treatment and again, tailoring that to the individual. And we've been saying that things like podcasts, uh, new technology, uh, visual, obviously very important for this uh, kind of subject as well. Do you think we could do more with that in this modern world, particularly with children, because uh, they've always got a phone and uh, perhaps those techniques could be taught digitally? Yeah, so there's a lot of work going on and a lot of apps being developed. Some are better than others. I think a lot of the progress that's being made is in terms of supporting adherence. We know that adherence is universally poor um, among children of all ages. There are a number of different kind of technologies, electronic monitoring devices, and some of which are paired to apps that can help with that, which can have an education component built into them as well. There are lots of reasons for poor adherence. We need to understand again in the individual what those reasons are and then intervene appropriately. And for some children, apps and reminders will be a really good way of doing that. And for others, it will be more of a focus on education. What about other management strategies that aren't necessarily drug-based? So it's very important to identify and to treat modifiable risk factors. We've already discussed adherence, but in terms of other things, we know that exposure to environmental tobacco smoke is harmful for children. And of course, older children and adolescents, that's the time when they start smoking, so we need to evaluate for that. Also to look at other issues such as obesity and give healthy lifestyle advice and advice regarding exercise. We know that psychosocial problems are common in children with asthma and also their parents, so particularly anxiety and depression. And it's important to address that, um, as well as look at kind of other factors that might be driving symptoms such as allergy and exposure. It's also important to assess their breathing pattern, as we know that dysfunctional breathing can often mimic asthma and make asthma appear to be worse than it is, and breathing control exercises can be of benefit. So education is everything in this, isn't yes. it? Yes. It's a very broad age range, isn't it, from yeah. 6 to 18, and uh, I would imagine there's lots of transitions within these years, and there are subgroups that you have to deal with. 
Yeah, so certainly during adolescence that we know that's a time of rapid physical, emotional, cognitive and social change. Also, we know that the natural history of asthma changes through the adolescent years. In younger children, we see more boys and yet as throughout the teenage years, we start to see more girls with asthma and that's likely a, a hormonal influence. We also know that teenage behaviours can impact on asthma control, so particularly um, around smoking or adherence, risk-taking behaviours. And these are all things that we need to take into account when we're thinking about transitioning the young person from paediatric to adult services. And we need to bear in mind that transition isn't just about the transfer of care, it's a process to guide the young person safely um, through that time. It's interesting, actually, you mentioned smoking, and there are obviously different problems within different generations. The smoking rate has gone yeah. right down, particularly amongst uh, teenagers. But the other side of the coin, there's more anxiety. Well, there seems to be more anxiety for particularly teenage girls nowadays. And this is going to be a factor in the treatment. So it can be. We know there's a very complex relationship between anxiety and asthma symptoms. So anxiety can drive asthma symptoms and also anxiety can mimic asthma as well. So, for example, hyperventilation and breaking that cycle can be quite um, difficult, but it is really important to recognise it, to assess for it, and then to address those issues. What role can parents take in this? Because we haven't mentioned them that much uh, so far. We mentioned GPs, clinicians, but they would normally be the first to spot some of these symptoms that you're talking about. Yes, and so, and again, we see a change from younger children through to the teenage years. Parents are important in helping and supporting their child's management and in supervising their treatment. So we know that by 11 years of age, 50% of children are no longer supervised. And I'm sure you know, many of us will kind of recognise that actually being reminded to do things can be helpful. However, we need to balance that with giving greater autonomy to the teenager as well and ensuring that they are equipped to be able to manage their asthma. Finally, how do you see Gina in terms of the management of asthma within this age group? Where are we going? So Gina provides a framework for the management of these children and also helps to identify some of the evidence gaps. And I think particularly in children, there are significant unmet needs. We've seen a rapid um, evolution in new asthma treatments, particularly the biologics, in the adult age group. And a lot of that data is being extrapolated to children. And I think it's really important that we view children individually and not just use those data from adult studies. And I think Gina can help to highlight the differences between paediatric and adult asthma, and also really where we need to focus research and where those gaps are in our knowledge. Very interesting. Dr. Louise Fleming, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. The Gina website has a suite of up-to-date, evidence-based documents, booklets, videos, an implementation toolkit, and other useful information. If you're a healthcare professional interested in Gina resources for your hospital or healthcare system, or if you have ideas for new resources, please email us via our website, ginaasthma.org. Thank you for listening and for sharing in our mission to reduce the global burden of asthma.